This podcast is for parents like you, navigating the world of neurodiversity with love and compassion. I'm a neurodivergent mother of three amazing neurodivergent children and a board-certified music therapist. Our mission is to create a supportive space where you feel understood, connected, and inspired. With practical tips, strategies, and resources, we'll help you and your child thrive in your unique way. Join us as we dive deep into the diverse world of neurodivergent individuals, exploring topics like ADHD, autism, dyslexia, sensory processing challenges, and more. We'll cover it all to empower, educate, and uplift both neurodivergent individuals and those who walk alongside them. Together, we'll create a world where every brain is valued and celebrated. We're excited to embark on this enlightening journey with you. We are your hosts, Samantha Foote and Lauren Ross, and this is the Every Brain is Different podcast. Welcome to the Every Brain is Different podcast. We are here with Denise Arnauds. She is an ADHD anxiety business coach who helps women with ADHD and anxiety stop the overwhelming chaos driving their business and create a successful purpose-filled business with a balanced life. As someone with ADHD and anxiety herself, she spent years going from one coaching program to another, wondering why the strategies were not working for her. Finally, it dawned on her that these programs were not made for someone with ADHD and anxiety. She needed methods and strategies that spoke to this side of her to succeed. So she spent time researching, testing, and implementing strategies that work for her unique brain and now passionately shares these strategies and tips with her audience and is spreading the word that ADHD and anxiety is perfect for a business. We just need to harness it, not work against it. So Denise, we are so excited to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit more about how you're involved in the neurodivergent community? Absolutely. Well, how about I give you a little bit of my backstory so that it helps to understand how I ended up here. Yeah. I am a late diagnoses person. I was diagnosed when I was 35 years old. Very common in women, but there was always that inkling of something just doesn't fit. Something's off. I don't understand. I'd gone to the doctors. They'd done blood tests on me. They've done sleep studies, for example, because ADHD can also cause you to be tired. Um, Didn't know if everyone knows that, but it does. It can cause you to get very exhausted. Um, I have anxiety. I've uh, struggled with depression in the past. And all of those things, there was never a clear, like, oh, now that's the answer. Then I had kids. So I had an eight-year-old that he's eight right now. He is my mini-me ever since he was born. He looks so much like me. He acts so much like me. I'm like, oh, I just get him. And then he gets diagnosed with ADHD. And I go, oh, <laughs> I think um, I think I have the answer now. <laughs> and so I started my own journey to get a diagnosis to see, is this what has been causing me problems all along the way? Is it actually anxiety and depression or is it actually ADHD masking as anxiety and depression? Because that's very commonly done. And so as women, we tend to show up differently. 
we think of ADHD as you're hyperactive. You can't stop moving. You are the energizer bunny. That's not usually the case for women. Women tend to be a little more quiet. We tend to actually mask very, very well. And we tend to be the daydreamer. In fact, um, many of us, we just are really competent at masking very quickly. And we are able, when I say masking, we're able to hide our symptoms and be able to explain it off to the world in a way that they understand until there's a point where you no longer can. And usually women hit that much later. And many times it's in high school, for example, when classes get harder or college is a prime time that everything falls apart. And during these periods of my life, I often wondered why are things not working well? And what's going on? Why does everyone else seem to be able to get it? And I don't. So it never even dawned on me, though, that it could be ADHD, that I was actually unable to pay attention the way uh, neurotypicals are able to. I was unable to push through harder things. Um, you know, the common joke for college, for example, oh, you have a test tomorrow? That's why your house is so clean, right? Like, yeah, it's a common joke, but for ADHD, it's even higher because we really do have the struggle of, I just can't focus on something I don't want to focus on. And so you have a much harder hill to climb and overcoming it. And because the masking starts to become more difficult, it just starts to fall apart at some point. Yeah, I was personally able to hold it together enough until I had children. Once I had children, with being neurodivergent, for me, often means that my kids can overstimulate me and dysregulate my system very easily. Before I had kids, if I was starting to feel dysregulated... I didn't know I was doing it. It's that masking thing, but I would just leave, just leave. As a mother, I can't just leave. My kids need me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I started picking up on, is everybody, does everybody feel this way? Constantly dysregulated, constantly losing control, feeling just heightened anxiety because their kids, are too loud. They're too touchy. I didn't realize like their constant touching. I literally stop, 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 stop. Like, I don't want to be that mother who's just stop touching me, stop touching me. But sometimes it was, it's overwhelming for me. You need to get off me right now. I am overstimulated and it is, it almost feels painful that you're still touching me. And so that's kind of where I ended up in the neurodivergent community. I started to want to learn more. I started on my path because I wanted to understand my son better. But it also became a journey of me learning more about myself. And as I was becoming a business coach, I also started to see 
why can't I do what everyone else is doing? I just don't get it. And it wasn't until I was diagnosed with ADHD, the light bulb finally clicked that, well, yeah, I, I can't do a neurotypical program because when they say just push through it, it, it's like hitting a brick wall Yeah, for someone who's neurodivergent. Yeah. So I have like the same story as you. It's crazy. And so um, I did notice they're just like, yeah, just push through it. Just do what you need to do to get it done. I'm like, I literally can't. Like, I don't know. My brain just shuts off and I can't do the thing. And so I totally understand that like you can't just push through they're like well you need to like for social media for example everyone's like you need to be really consistent with social media you need to just push through and just make the post even when you don't want to I literally my brain can't it can't think of anything to do it can't think of anything to say and I just I don't do it because but then when I get the inspiration to do it I have to do it right that second or else it's going to go away yes yes so I I completely agree. For me, I usually am great at writing content, but then when you tell me, "Well, now go do a graphic," I hit a wall. I'm just like, I I don't want to do that. I I I hate doing it. It causes yeah. me anxiety, and then I never post it. I can't tell you how many co- content pieces I have. They are wonderful pieces. I can't post them, not because I don't want to, but. I just can't break through that barrier. And I see that with so many people with ADHD and who are neurodivergent. We just can't do it the same way. Yeah, that's a really good point. And don't, and I think my opinion why people with ADHD are so tired is because of the masking that you go through. I mask so hard. When I was younger, um, because I was always called emotional, I was always called over dramatic. I talked a lot. I still talk a lot. Ask Lauren. Um, <laughs> so, and then, but I would interrupt people, and I hated that I interrupted people. But it's like if I didn't get out when I needed to say right then, I was going to explode. And so I tried so hard just to mask my emotions, not talk. Um, just, you know, just not be myself because I thought I was a burden on other people. And then the rejection sensitivity dysphoria comes in where you're a burden on other people and they don't like you. So you have to mask so that you can fit in. And it's just this vicious cycle when you just stop, just be yourself. (laughs) It's just so exhausting. Yeah. It's so exhausting. Yeah. When you're tired. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for me also, the tiredness comes with uh, depression sometimes. Sometimes people think of depression as, you know, you're sad, you're crying. For me, my first sign of depression is usually I just want to sleep and I can sleep all day. It just feels exhausting. I just feel heavy. I just want to go to sleep. So it's actually not a tiredness or sorry, it's not a sadness feeling, but when they described it as a sadness, I was like, well, I don't have depression, but all my life I've been like, I am so exhausted. It was like a running joke. Like 
Denise just always wants to sleep. She never wants to do anything else. And I mean, there were other signs like in high school, in the summers, for example, I stayed up so late and I feel like this is a pretty common thing that I've heard other neurodivergents do. We stay up super late and I actually think it's because there's less stimuli going on at night and we can just focus on what we want to focus on. No one's going to talk to us. There's not going to be messaging, no phone calls. Nothing's going to be added to our plate. So it's a very serene time to just do what we're wanting to do. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, and I had no idea. That's a, that is a legit reason we stay up late. It's just, it's calling finally. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have all the distractions. You can just do what you want to do and not have to deal with other people or any of that stuff. Or like people coming to your door, or, like with packages or whatever. You know, someone just came to my door with a package. So that's why I said that. But um, yeah, just you're there's just no masking. Alone. Yeah, there's no masking. You don't have to mask for anyone either. You can just do it right. yourself. Right. And I actually have another really good story of masking that if you're not neurodivergent, you have no idea this is going on. Every week when I go to church, I spend five to 10 minutes trying to think about what I have done that week. So when someone asks me, how are you? I don't just give them a, I'm doing this right now. I'm tired right now because that's not what they want to know. They don't want to know you're right now feeling I'm tired. Oh, I'm feeling anxious right now. I'm, I can't think in the moment though. Well, what actually has been going on for the last week that they actually are asking like, well, how have you been since the last time I saw you? I don't know. I have no idea how I've been. Like, I'm right now though. I can tell you how I feel right now. And that's something neurotypicals don't understand that it causes me anxiety. I spend time orchestrating an answer. And if I have it, I'm probably going to answer. I'm really anxious right now. I have no idea what else to say. Yeah, I read this thing that neurodivergent people don't like small talk because it gives them all the anxiety because they would rather be talking about deep, meaningful things. And that's why neurotypical people seem to think that neurodivergent people overshare because I, number one, like I overshare so much because, because I don't, I don't want to talk about superficial things. Like that gives me all the anxiety in the world. But if I can like, like connect with someone on a deeper level, I don't get the anxiety. And so that's why I just, I go deep real fast. I know. They're like, why are you talking about this right now? Yeah. I don't know. I thought we were supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea how to navigate conversations on a superficial level. Like I, nope. I just, I, I don't know how, and I don't know how other people do it. I don't either. I don't. And, and like, if you are neurotypical in listening, please recognize we aren't trying to make you feel awkward. We're not trying to overshare and make you go, what the heck is this person doing? Just be gracious with us. We're just trying the way that our brains work. 
we're just we wanted to connect that's all we're trying to do even if it means going beyond what you wanted to do yeah i feel like that's how our friendship like you don't do superficial you just go in deep and i just accepted that yeah (laughs) Yeah. and i'm like okay she's going deep i guess i have to go deep we're friends now (laughs) yeah lauren and i were office mates and we worked in the same office we shared an office um and i from the very beginning i just (laughs) overshared and she's like oh okay we're talking about that (laughs) it was not a very professional relationship (laughs) my office life now (laughs) yeah um we're not trying to make people uncomfortable it's just it's wherever our brain is taking us in that moment and it's almost an honor. If we are doing that, that means we feel comfortable enough to let our brains go wherever. So if we're oversharing, that's probably an honor to you that we are saying we feel comfortable. We want to share more of ourselves. Granted, we probably shouldn't share all of that, except with only people that we fully like know that they're going to be okay with it. But we try. We try. Yeah. I just really try to connect with people. And I feel like I do it the wrong way all the time. I just feel like I overshare and people are like, why are you talking about that? Like, that's not like we don't even we barely know each other, you know. So like I'm in a a group called Polka Dot Powerhouse. And then I also I just joined BNI because I have all the time in the world. Right. And so part of that group, part of those groups, you have to do one on one connects with people. And I think I freak some people out because I don't just talk superficially like I tell them things about my life and they're like oh okay and I'm like (laughs) yeah so sorry if you're one of those people (laughs) you are the perfect podcast host yeah there are no topics off limits true it's true that's what it feels like yeah I mean and and that's just that's our normal life and and that's why it can be so challenging and we have to mask so much because we know that others don't like it so it makes like having relationships it makes them more difficult because we're constantly ooh did we overshare with that person oh no maybe they didn't like this little thing i said we overanalyze because we know that maybe we did something that someone else might not have liked Maybe in the past, something's happened that we're like, oh, that didn't go well. And I accidentally did the exact same thing with this person. So now they're never going to call me again. It's done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've always been a person that I feel like I bring groups together because I want to do things. And tell me if like this is your experience too. Like I bring groups together and then those groups like those people in those groups find people and they go off and do individual things alone, but I'm never the person that people call to go do individual things. And so I feel like, well, they don't like me. They're just, they like me enough to be in a group with me, but not to go off by ourselves and go do an activity by ourselves, but I'm good in a group, you know? So that's been me since like elementary school. This has happened to me. And so the rejection sensitivity dysphoria is just like, well, they think you're annoying because you overshare. And this is not anything that we plan on talking about today, but I no, love this it's conversation. Not, but I love it. I love this conversation. So, but yeah, it's like, have you found that like just 
navigating social relationships like that um how has that like affected your life (laughs) I so I am hmm, I have not had quite the same experience although I recognize now that I do communicate with people when I'm feeling what's the word you're basically feeling energized and you want to talk to people and then I go through periods of not wanting to talk, talk to anyone. And then I go through periods of sending bunches of texts to all my friends and and then all this communication. And then I go through another period of please don't talk to me. No one call me, blah, blah, blah. I like to call people on my terms, <laughs> which is not very fair. But I'm like, I'm in the energy. I just want to talk to my friend. But when they call me, I'm like, Oh gosh, do I have to talk right now? I'm not in the mood. And it's the dopamine thing. Like you can't push through it. You know, like if you have a task, it's the same exact thing. So if you're in a social like setting and you're just not feeling it, you can't just push through it and pretend. No. Well, you can, but that's like masking and then that drains you and it's just a vicious cycle all over again. (laughs) I know. I know. We just, we have to work really hard. Yeah. We do. The world wants to see us happy. And the answer is we are a lot for the world because we're not always happy. There's a lot of anxiety. There's the rejection sensitivity dysphoria that people don't know about. And there's just a lot there. And one of the things that makes having a neurodivergent um, prognosis so challenging is we look the same as everyone else and because we look the same they just label it as well you're just annoying Mm -hmm. or you're just uncaring or you said you're gonna do something and you don't keep your promises which is not true and even if they do know you have a diagnosis they probably don't understand it well enough to understand it's not just I'm hyper. It's not just um, I have trouble focusing, but it's so much more layered. And that makes it very difficult to unmask in society. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just trying to help, trying to help people understand why you do what you do is just very exhausting. So what would you say to parents who are raising neurodivergent children who want to raise them so they're not masking, they maybe feel accepted by society, you know, they're in a good place. How can we help our kids so that they don't experience like all the like exhaustion from masking? Because that's that's my goal in life is to help people be themselves and everyone just accepts them and they can just do what they need to do. So they're not so tired all the time (laughs) and overthinking things, you know, cause I, I never ever walk away from a conversation that I have being like, yep, I rock that. It's always like, Oh man, why did I say that? Why I'm going to do that after this podcast, just in case you're wondering, um, I'm going to be like, Ooh, probably shouldn't have said that, you know? 
So although, yes. <laughs> although to be fair, I do feel like with neurodivergent, when neurodivergent people get together, we tend to be a little more forgiving of each other. Yeah. And so, you know, Samantha, after this talk, I'm going to go away going, gosh, I really enjoyed the talk with Samantha because she felt me. She understood me. If you weren't neurodivergent, I probably would analyze every little thing because the number of times I know they're going to get edited out, they won't know that I had a moment of, well, my dog touched my arm. I'm sorry. We have to stop because I lost what I was thinking. I got yeah. stimulated somewhere else and my brain shut down. They won't know the number of times I stopped on this. But when you are with someone who's neurodivergent, they're just much more gracious that, oh, you have your stuff and I have my stuff and we just get to unmask for a little bit. And it's yeah. so nice. Yeah. As far as parents go, I would say there's two things you need to do for parents. The one thing, the first thing, you need to love your child as they are. Be a safe space for that child. Be their rock and try to not see them in the way that you hope they would be, but who they just all encompassing, whatever they're doing, whatever if they like things that maybe you're like, why do they like that? Just love them right in that space and be present with them and let them know it's safe. The second thing to make the world a more loving place is be an advocate for your, your child. And that means knowing that not only do you need to advocate, 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 Okay. The word is advocate, people. Okay. <laughs> um, you need to advocate for your child, but sometimes it means educating other people because you are going to become an expert in your child and their, their diagnosis. You will know more than the average person. So to make the world a better place, stand up and advocate and educate others so that they know your child's not just being that way because they want to be that way. For example, I have a six-year-old who also has ADHD. Now, he does not have uh, what I have in the sense that I probably, I, I probably have combination, but it leans more towards inattentive. Um, and his is 100% hyperactivity, which means he looks like the Energizer Bunny. That's, I mean, he is the spitting image of an Energizer Bunny. That means when we are in church, for example, he cannot sit still through church, even at six years old. And um, he'll be seven in March. He cannot sit through church at all. He sits through about 15 minutes and then he needs to go run. Mm-hmm. It is not because we are bad parents that my child has to leave. He tries really hard, but he physically cannot just sit there. And even if I give him a fidget, he still can't just sit there. 
I wish people could sometimes come into our house to see what he does on a daily basis because he, he, it's not abnormal to see him watching TV on his head because I don't know. That's how he has to do it. It is more dangerous for him to sit at the dining room table than to stand because of the number of times he falls out of the chair. That's just the case, though. Like, it's dangerous for him to sit in a chair. Uh, You don't understand until you have a child who just can't sit still. And helping people, educating them. To understand that he's not a bad kid because he can't sit still. And I'm not doing a bad job of parenting by taking him out and letting him run for a little bit. Yeah. Because that's what he needs. And I'm not going to shame him for needing that. I love it. That's Uh, awesome. that's how I feel about being a parent. You you yeah. just need to advocate and don't try to force them to be like every other kid. They are different. Love them where they're at and what they need. Yeah. And educate teachers about them too. If they're, you know, in school, I know for my son, he's had a lot of trouble in school this year and I've had to really educate his teacher about like PDA. Um, so the pathological demand avoidance and how he has that. And so if you get, you can't get into a power struggle with him, like it's not going to work. He will win every time. It's more about the connection and building their relationship and figuring other ways how to help him because his teacher was like, well, I'm just as stubborn as he is. I was like, we do not need to take that approach. So it's really advocating like in, in all different areas of your child's life, for sure. I mean, I would say that's for everyone, right? Like, yeah. If we're going to be stubborn, there's a difference between holding boundaries and being stubborn. Stubborn is more like, well, I'm going to get my way no matter what. Yeah. Holding boundaries is I lovingly tell you what is not going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a little frustrated with you right there. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and I have a I have a child that you cannot go against. He is he will never, ever, ever lose an argument. You will always go down if you try to go head to head with him. Yeah. So I totally get that. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you. I really, I think those two things were, are super important. Like just accept your child the way they are and be an advocate and educate people. I love it. Um, where can people find you online? So I. They can find me either. You can follow me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. Friend request me. I love having more in my network. Um, You can also go to my website, which is the ADHDbusinessowner.com. I love it. (laughs) Easy enough as it's simple. Yeah. Simple. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And then do you have, um, we talked about some resources that you might have for parents who um, need your services or just want to learn more about you or just tell me about that. Yes. <laughs> so on my website, I have a, an affirmations track that I called my reset affirmations track. 
this is for those days when you've had a few days where you're like, I just don't want to do anything. And you know how when you come out of those days, you usually beat yourself up and you're like, why did I have those days? I didn't do anything. And for neurotypicals, they seem to bounce back a little faster. But for us, we kind of sit in it and we feel really guilty. It's, I think, why sometimes we decide not to continue pursuing things because we drop the ball and lose it. So I created a reset affirmations track to guide you through affirmations that are all around. It's okay to start with a clean slate. Today's a new day. And you don't have to judge yourself based on what you've been doing. You can just start right now. And I feel like when you hear people, um, somebody saying those words over you, it gives you a little bit more permission to forgive yourself and graciously just move forward. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I've said that a lot. But um, okay, last question. What do you do for fun? <laughs> what do I do for fun? Oh, I, um, I mean, I hang out with my kids a lot because I have three, three boys. And so we do a lot of crazy things. We play games together. Um, we watch movies. We like to play outside. You know, we just, we really enjoy our family time. That's great. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. We appreciate Uh, your time. Thank you you guys. I loved it. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope the discussion on neurodiversity has provided you with support, understanding, and inspiration. If you found our podcast valuable, please share it with others who may benefit from our insights and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the follow button and let's keep exploring the fascinating world of neurodiversity. Click the link in our show notes to visit our website for a free download of three tips for a stronger relationship with your child.